passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Well, last week we began our study in the book of Philemon, and this week we will actually complete the book, which makes an all-time record for preaching through an entire book of the Bible here at Crosswinds, at least under my leadership. So I'll just admit that right up front. Yeah, I got an amen in the back. I guess you just heard the amens I had first service on that one. It does help, though, when the entire book is only 25 verses. It's, uh, it's sort of easy to get through it at a quick rate. But while the book of the Bible named Philemon is a very short book, it's also a very practical book. It's a very needed book. It talks about the issue of forgiveness and working through the hurts that we have in broken relationships. And I don't think there could be anything more relevant than that. Isn't that true? Now, before we jump into the study of the text, I really need to re-familiarize us with the backstory of the text, because the backstory helps us understand the main story. The way this works together is that uh, Paul, he actually had uh, met Philemon years before this book was written. The, what we know from the book of Acts is that um, Paul spent three years in the city of Ephesus, and he preached there, and many people came to Christ. But Ephesus was a port city, and many people from Asia Minor would pass through Ephesus on their way, um, heading out, doing business. And apparently, a man named Philemon from the city of Colossae passed through Ephesus, heard Paul preaching about the good news of Jesus Christ. He became a Christian, returned to his hometown, a city named Colossae, and he was part of planting a church in that city. And in fact, Philemon was one of those wealthy guys. The church met in his home. When the church meets in your home, you have a big home, right? And this was Philemon. So Paul and Philemon have this close relationship, even though they haven't seen each other for years. But when the letter of Philemon is being written, it's years later. Actually, Paul, at this time, he's in Rome, in jail. And he has met a man named Onesimus. We don't know exactly how the two of them had their paths cross. Uh, perhaps Onesimus was thrown in jail for some kind of minor offense, and he found himself in the same cell as Paul. You know? And Paul had a, uh, should we call it, captive audience? Right? There. Now, what happened is Paul shared with Onesimus the good news of Jesus Christ. And just like when he had done that for Philemon, Philemon came to Jesus and found his life completely changed, Onesimus came to Jesus. He found his life completely changed. In fact, what Onesimus decided to do was, even after he could leave jail, he sort of stayed around jail, and he gave his life and time to helping Paul and his ministry there. But there was one huge, glaring issue in Onesimus' life that needed to be solved. You see, Onesimus was a runaway slave. In fact, he had run away from the house of Philemon, the very same friend that Paul knew. Interestingly, uh, 
Onesimus had run 1,800 miles away from the city of Colossae, all the way to the city of Rome to become lost there and hopefully never see anyone he, would, anyone he knew again. But God in his providence happened to meet Paul, the very same man that had changed his master's life. Now, Onesimus had to make this relationship right. He had to do something to repair the broken relationship he had with his master Philemon. Now, we know this would not have been an easy relationship to restore. According to Roman law and Roman custom, a runaway slave could be crucified when they were found. If they weren't crucified, they would be whipped. And then they would be branded on their head with a big letter F, identifying them for the rest of their life as a fugitive. That is what faced Onesimus. For Onesimus to go back to his master Philemon and to try and restore the relationship could mean the end of his life. And even if he didn't die, at least he would be whipped, beaten, and branded. But what would he do? As a Christian, would he seek to restore? Would he seek to own up to his sin, repent, and at the risk of his life? Well, an opportunity came. The opportunity was that Paul had written a letter to the church in Colossae, the church that actually met in Philemon's very home. It's the book of Colossians in our, in our Bible. Paul asked a close friend of his, a man named Tychicus, to carry the letter of Colossians to the church in Colossae right there in Philemon's home. And then he suggested to Onesimus, I think you should go with him. This is your opportunity to make things right. And by the way, you won't go completely alone. I'll write a little note, a little note to help try and repair the relationship between the two of you. That little note is the book of Philemon in our Bibles. Now, after Tychicus uh, got up in front of the congregation and he read the letter of Colossians that's in our Bible, he said, most likely, oh, by the way, I'm not done. I have a little note here. It's to you, Philemon, and to the church in your home, and to you, Onesimus, about this broken relationship that needs to be restored. Now, what I'd like to do is I'd like to have us read through this letter. Again, please stand and open your Bibles to the book of Philemon. If you're using the church Bible, by the way, it's really easy to find. It's on page 1,000. Knowing the background of the letter, you can understand this letter so much better as we read it. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and to Thea, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. 
Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own free will. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you're owing me, you're owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Before we pick up in verse 17, which is where we're going to be picking up, I just want to take a moment to review some of the key things we looked at last week. If you want to delve into these more and understand these more, please refer you to last week's sermon online. But these are very important things we learned at that time. First thing we learned last week is that forgiveness encourages the church. It encourages the entire church. You see, when a relationship is broken between two people, even though it's most keenly felt between those two people when the relationship is broken, the brokenness of that relationship cannot just stay between two people. It spreads to others. If it's in the church, it spreads to others in the church. People feel that broken, and they're discouraged by that brokenness. Think of it in the home. If there's a broken relationship between mom and dad, is there any way children don't feel that? It just spreads like poison. But on the other side, when a relationship is restored, when there's forgiveness that is extended, and relationships come together, it doesn't just bless and restore those people between the two folks who have the issue, but it blesses and restores the entire church. 
The idea is here that we learned last week that forgiveness in a relationship isn't just something we do for ourselves and for another person, but it's something that blesses and encourages the entire church body. Very important. Another thing we learned last week that was very important is that forgiveness is essential for Christian growth. We looked at this little phrase where Paul prays for Philemon. He says that I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And that word effective in the Greek literally means experienced. What Paul was saying is, I don't want you to just talk about God's forgiveness. But my prayer for you is that you go through the experience of offering forgiveness to people. You see, it's easy to talk about how Jesus forgives us, isn't it? But there's a whole different kind of understanding when we've gone through the difficulty of forgiving somebody else. It helps us understand the costliness of Jesus Christ forgiving us. I like to think of it this way. We can talk about climbing Mount Everest, right? It's one thing to talk about climbing Mount Everest. It's a whole other thing to actually climb Mount Everest, isn't it? And when you've climbed Mount Everest, you talk about it and experience in a different way. For us to grow in our understanding of forgiveness and the forgiveness and the full and complete forgiveness that God offers us, we need to go through the experience of offering and extending God's type of forgiveness to others. One of the things we talked about last week was we wonder sometimes why God lets difficult people into our lives, even Christian people into our lives that hurt us, that provide difficult relationships with us. We say, God, why did you let that happen? And it's not necessarily because he doesn't love you. It's because he does love you. He wants you to be able to go through the experience of offering to forgive them. And when we forgive others, we learn more about God's forgiveness of us. We mature in the gospel and our understanding of it. Third thing we learned last week was this. Forgiveness cannot be demanded. Interestingly, all the way through this letter, Paul specifically doesn't say, I command you to forgive Onesimus. He just says, I appeal to you. And then he says things like, Philemon, you have always, you're such a great guy. Now act in line with your faith. He appeals to him. And one of the things we learned, that many times in our broken relationships, when it comes to healing those relationships, the absolute wrong thing to do is to command somebody to forgive or command somebody to do something. Because what do they do? They'll either stick their heels in or they'll do it on the outside but not do it on the inside. We used this example uh, last week. Did you grow up in a home where you and your brother and sister ever fought? Anybody? Okay. Then what does mom do? She comes in the room and says, you stop fighting. Now you forgive one another. And you go, I forgive you. And you say it on the outside, but have you really forgiven on the inside? That's right. As Tom can tell you, he has experience in this one. <laughs> but the, the truth is this, you know, forgiveness, it can't be commanded. It has to be only appealed for because it has to come from our hearts, from the inside. 
The other thing we learned uh, last week was this. Repentance encourages forgiveness. One of the fastest ways to always mend a broken relationship is repent. I'm sorry. I did this wrong. Just be the first to repent. And I want you to notice that Onesimus, he's sort of a hero in this one. Onesimus is the one who has taken the initiative to repent. At the risk of his own life, he is heading back to Philemon. That's the way to restore a relationship. Take the initiative to repent. Now, you would say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Take the initiative to restore the relationship. You know, hey, I, I didn't, I'm not aware of having done anything wrong, you could say, but I just sense there's a problem between the two of us. I want to restore the relationship between the two of us. Be the first to take the initiative and repent. And that brings us to verse 17. Let's go ahead and pick this up. We're all of a sudden, we're going to learn more about the kind of forgiveness that Paul is talking about. Christian forgiveness, we learn, includes abundant kindness. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. This is the high point of the letter. And Paul makes his request abundantly clear. I don't just want you to forgive Onesimus, but I want you to shower Onesimus with abundant kindness. Receive Onesimus with the same kind of love and kindness and warmth of reception like it was me, one of your best friends, showing up at your doorstep. That's different, isn't it? See, usually the way forgiveness works between Christians is we say, you know what? Okay, we have attention. I forgive you. And then we part ways, don't we? And we sort of keep a cold shoulder to each other. And here's the problem when that happens. Even when we forgive someone and we say we've forgiven, there's still nothing to replace those bad memories, is there? When we think about that person, our mind immediately goes back to the last memory we had, which was the memory when that relationship broke. And there's nothing to replace it. Paul has a little different strategy. Receive Onesimus like you would receive me. In other words, it's not Onesimus, okay, I forgive you, and now we're going to avoid one another in church. It's Onesimus, I forgive you. Let me give you a hug, brother. It's so good to be back. In fact, by the way, we're going to be serving some barbecue at the Eagles and Vikings game at my house this afternoon. Onesimus, why don't you come on over? Hang out with my family. Hang out with my kids. It is so good to have you back. Well, that changes things, doesn't it? All of a sudden, Onesimus doesn't just go from hearing he's forgiven to all of a sudden he experiences abundant kindness, overwhelming kindness that he doesn't deserve from Philemon, his former master. And he really feels forgiven. Now think about this as you start to extend this out. The church, everyone in the church knows that Onesimus could, could should be crucified or whipped or branded. And yet they see Philemon having him over his house for a meal. Doesn't that change the way things happen at the church? Doesn't that refresh the entire church? All of a sudden, man, 
That's forgiveness. That's really good forgiveness. And take it out another level. Not just from the church, but to the entire world where people in the world around them would expect, wait till you see what Philemon does to him. He is just going to destroy him. He's terrible. They were having lunch together. He was playing with Philemon's kids. What changed their life? There's one answer. Jesus Christ. Now you see, what this is saying to us is that we try to preach the gospel in the way we forgive. Most of us miss this. The gospel message to us is not just that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, but the gospel message is Jesus completely forgave us, and then God showered us with abundant kindness that we do not deserve. In fact, the Bible describes us not just as forgiven, but as the most blessed beings in the entire universe because of Jesus. Look what the scriptures say in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Or as it says in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So our identity as Christians is not just as a forgiven people, completely and fully, but as the most blessed people with abundant kindness. Now, our job as Christians, when we forgive others, is not just to forgive them, but to bless them with abundant kindness as well. And now, that does a couple things. It replaces the bad memories that we have and they have where the relationship broke down with good memories that no one would expect. That refreshes the entire church as they see broken relationships coming together and not just tolerating one another, but going out of their way to bless and love and be kind to one another. Just like God has done for us through Jesus. And folks, that preaches the gospel to the watching world, doesn't it? Because they've never seen relationships restored like this before. And it only happens in the church. It's the gospel message. Next thing we learn is this. Forgiveness means restoring what was lost. Paul says, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you, you're owing me your own self. Now, the first word here where he says, if he has wronged you at all. Some people think, well, maybe this means that Onesimus maybe has not wronged Philemon at all. It's a question, isn't it? That's not the way it should be taken. The if here essentially means whatever. In whatever way he may have wronged you, charge that to my account. It's an if of universality, not of questions. Obviously, he would know if he wronged him or not. Now, let's think of the debt 
that Onesimus might have owed. We learned last week that Onesimus as a slave would have been penniless, not had much money, yet he had an 1,800-mile trip to make it all the way to Rome. Then he would have to set himself up in Rome. Where did that money come from? Most likely from his wealthy master, and he would have stolen it from him. We don't know that for sure, but where else is the money coming from when you don't have it? Another thing we learned when we studied slavery back in Colossians, we learned that many people became slaves because they faulted on a loan. In fact, remember, we learned this, that people would put themselves up as collateral. If we fault on the loan, I will agree to be your slave for X number of years. It's quite possible that Onesimus had faulted on a loan still owed that loan to Philemon and was serving as his slave as repayment for that loan. So now we have two debts, the debt of the money he stole and the debt of the money he owed. Not also to mention the fact that once Onesimus was gone and no longer working for Philemon, Philemon still needed a slave to work for him. So what did he have to do? Go out and buy another one, which then would have put Onesimus further in debt. The picture we have is Onesimus had a debt he couldn't pay. It was a deep debt, a serious debt. But the only way for there to be true reconciliation between the two of them is there must be restoration of what was taken, right? If you steal a bicycle from your neighbor, you can't just go over and say, I'm sorry. You better give the bike back. You break a window. If you throw a baseball in the backyard, you can't just go to your neighbors and say, well, I'm sorry I broke your window. You need to pay the money to restore the window. That's the same thing that needs to go on here. But here is where it's so incredibly cool. Here's where the gospel shines forth again and Christian forgiveness is different. Paul steps to the plate and offers to pay for the debt that Onesimus couldn't pay to restore the relationship that was broken. That is the gospel. We owe a debt that we cannot pay to our Heavenly Father. It's for our sin. Someone stepped to the plate to pay for the debt we couldn't pay. That was Jesus Christ to restore the broken relationship. You know what Paul says? This is an opportunity for me to be like Jesus to him and to restore the broken relationship, to pay the debt that he can't pay. That's what Jesus did for me. That's what I want to do for Onesimus. You know, it's been said, we're never more like God than when we forgive. But it's probably true. We're never more like Jesus then we offer to pay someone's debt that they can't pay. You know, how is Christian forgiveness different? I'll give you a little example. It's grace in action. To be honest, the, truth, the honest truth is to, forever, to ever have relationships come together, things that have been broken need to be restored. Things that have been taken need to be repaid. And sometimes people cannot afford to do that. But you know what Christians do? They step into the situation and they say, Jesus paid for my sin. 
to restore relationship. It would be a privilege for me to pay for your sin, to help you restore that relationship. People would say, why would you do that? It's the gospel. It's what Jesus did for me. It's what I want to do for you. So forgiveness means restoring what was lost. Another thing, by the way, just for the fun of it, I've mentioned this. When Jesus died on the cross, as you look in your New Testament, the last words out of his mouth were, were these. It is finished. It's the Greek word tetelestai. Uh, but tetelestai is an interesting word in the Greek. Literally, it means it is finished or it means paid in full. It was an accounting term. When a debt that was owed was paid, that is the word that was stamped across the document, paid in full. Jesus paid in full for our debts. In fact, look what it says here by, in Colossians 2.14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set aside, he, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, forgiveness also refreshes the church. He says, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, Paul has said a number of times that, that Philemon has been very refreshing to him because of how he has helped brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at Philemon chapter 7, or, or verse 7. Earlier he says this, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here, at the end of the letter, Paul is very specific about how he wants to be refreshed by Philemon. I would be incredibly refreshed if you would forgive Onesimus and then lavish abundant kindness on Onesimus. He says, in fact, the, the tense here is in the emphatic. You have no idea how good it would make me feel to see the relationship between the two of you restored, strengthened, healed, and better than it ever possibly was. And here's the point I want to make. One of the most refreshing things that can happen in our life is to have a broken relationship restored and healed. It really, it is one of the most refreshing things you can ever experience. You know, some of you will say, well, you know, I'm thinking about people and uh, it's scary I don't want to go back to that person. I don't want to talk to them again. I want to just leave that thing die. Well, that's true, but you have no idea how refreshed you could be if that relationship was restored. You know, for the last two weeks as we've been talking about this issue of forgiveness, my guess is that the Holy Spirit's been working in your heart. He's been bringing to mind a name a name of a relationship that you have broken in your life. Maybe it's uh, someone that you never want to talk to again, that you don't want to spend time with, and the Holy Spirit has just been hounding you on this as I've been talking for these last two weeks. Would you make a commitment today? A commitment to make the call? A commitment to set the appointment? A commitment to say, you know, I need to repent of what I've done. 
and I want to restore the relationship. Or a commitment that says, I want to forgive you for what happened. You had no idea how that hurt me, but I want to set you completely free of that, forgive you like Jesus has forgiven me, and I want to just extend abundant kindness to you. Would you do that? Why, at one point, nothing could be scarier than making that phone call. Nothing could be more refreshing than restoring that relationship. Now, Paul says a couple other things at the end. When mature Christians forgive, they do not look for a loophole to avoid making things right. He says, I'm confident of your obedience, and I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So Paul was confident Philemon would do the right thing and forgive Onesimus, but he says this, if there's anything that I happen to miss here, uh, any issues that may I have not addressed, I'm confident that you will figure out what it is and you will do the right thing. You won't look for a loophole. You won't look for excuses. You see, mature Christians don't look for loopholes and excuses when it comes to making things right. Because I know when I talked a moment ago about that name that God is bringing to mind, you have thought of probably five loopholes and excuses of why you shouldn't make that call. But mature Christians, they don't do that. And then it says this in Philemon 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayer, I will be graciously given to you. It's gentle accountability helps with forgiveness. Now, Paul, this is not harsh accountability. He's confident that Philemon will forgive Onesimus. The relationship will be restored. But he says this, you know, by the way, I'm going to be coming to visit, and I'm just looking to hear the story of how things came back together again. This morning, if you have that name that has come to mind, that you know you need to restore that relationship with, completely forgive and shower kindness, we know that, number one, mature Christians don't make loopholes and excuses, but mature Christians also look for general accountability to follow through on that. Maybe you need to talk to somebody and say, hey, you know, I'm going to get around to this. I'm going to do what's right, but would you feel free to ask me? Ask me about how this came together. Ask me at how it went. Just gently hold me accountable. Now let's read the conclusion. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I just want to point one name out in this list of people that were with Paul in prison. And that's the name of a man named Mark. We know from the book of Acts that when Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey, they brought a man named Mark with them. He's described as a young man, sort of a young guy who did not dry behind the ears yet. And on that first missionary journey, Mark got cold feet. Mark abandoned them, went his own way, and sort of left them out to dry. Second missionary journey in the book of Acts, Barnabas wanted to bring Mark again. But Paul refused to let him go. No way. Not that guy who abandoned us. And it says there was a big commotion between Paul and Barnabas that even led to them splitting up 
and going their separate ways because there was a broken relationship between Paul and Mark. Now, by the way, we learned earlier that these broken relationships, they don't just stay between two people. Remember we learned they can spread to other people? There's hints we have in the biblical text that some of the early churches didn't readily receive Mark when he came to visit because of this tension that existed between Mark and Paul. Now, by the time we get to the book of Colossians, there's a change that's taken place. You know, in Colossians and Philemon, Mark is actually with Paul once again. Somehow this relationship was restored. Let's look what it says. Colossians 4.10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, make sure you welcome him as opposed to reject him. So apparently what we're seeing is this. You know, Paul, when it comes to forgiveness and restoration, he understands it firsthand, doesn't he? With Mark. He had a broken relationship with Mark, but Paul has forgiven him. Paul has restored him. And by the time you get to the book of 2 Timothy, the very last letter that Paul writes, what Paul says is make sure you bring Mark to me because he is close to me and he is useful to me. In fact, Mark goes on to not just be restored to Paul, but one of Paul's closest friends. Paul says, I know what forgiveness and restoration is about. And my prayer is that the forgiveness and restoration that I've experienced with Mark is the same forgiveness and restoration, Philemon, you experience with Onesimus. Now, last week, I baited you with a couple questions I was going to answer about how the story finally ended up. Did Philemon forgive Onesimus? Well, I'll tell you, this is my answer. Paul was confident he would. And the fact that the early church loved this letter the fact that the early church circulated this letter, I think is evidence enough that Philemon did forgive Onesimus and this relationship was restored. What happened to Onesimus after he was forgiven? Three times in this letter, Paul hints at his desire to have Onesimus back to help him. Most likely, what happened was Onesimus was sent back to Paul with Philemon's blessing. And Onesimus, from what we can tell, became one of those inner circle of men who spent lots of time with Paul, who became the next generation of leaders in the early church. How did things end up for Onesimus? Well, there's some strong historical evidence for what happened to him. Fifty years after the letter of Philemon is written, there's a letter written by a man named Ignatius. This is not a biblical letter. It's an extra-biblical letter. Ignatius was an early church leader. He was on his way to Rome where he would be martyred. And before he would die, he wanted to write some letters to the churches in the ancient world to encourage them. One of the letters he wrote that we have is a letter to the church of Ephesus. Now remember what Ephesus and the church there is like. Ephesus is the third largest city in the Roman Empire. We've seen in the book of Acts that the church in Ephesus is 
huge. It is a megachurch in the ancient world. Ignatius says in this letter, he talks about the pastor of the church of Ephesus, a pastor that he loves. Guess what his name is? Onesimus. Now, some people say, well, this is 50 years after Philemon took place. Would this be the same Onesimus? He's old. But then again, most people were slaves when they were young. And there's one other real interesting clue. In Philemon verse 11, Paul plays a pun on Onesimus' name. In Greek, Onesimus means useful. And Paul says in verse 11, the one who was formerly useless has become useful both to you and to me. Ignatius, when he writes that letter about the pastor that he loves that's over the city of the church in the city of Ephesus, says, oh yeah, Onesimus, the one who was formerly useless, who has now become useful. He lifts the exact phrasing out of Philemon and puts it in his letter. Now I say this to you because you can never imagine the power of forgiveness and loving kindness and what God can do with it when we forgive others like Christ has forgiven us. This moment when Onesimus returned to Philemon was the pivotal moment of his life. He could have been crucified, whipped and branded, but instead he was completely forgiven, lavishly blessed, went on to return to Paul and went on to become one of the most loved and influential pastors in the ancient world. Now, folks, we've talked a couple times about that name that God has brought to your mind. The name of that broken relationship that God is calling you to restore. I know what you're saying. It's like, trust me, leave this one alone. But you can never imagine what God can do when a relationship is restored and you extend the forgiveness and abundant loving kindness to them just like Christ has extended to you. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this little postcard in the, in the Bible. Thank you for the forgiveness that, Onis, that Philemon extended to Onesimus, the criminal and slave. Thank you for taking that man's life and using it in a great way for your kingdom. And I thank you for this testimony, Lord, that when we extend forgiveness and loving kindness like you have forgiven us, that you can use that in an amazing way to heal relationships, to bless the church, and even preach the gospel to the watching world in a way where they can actually see Christ's forgiveness and restoration firsthand. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.